you repeated what you were going to do today 365 more times, would you be where you want to be this time next year? If you repeated today, somebody grab that pulpit because I am going to need one. Yeah, right back there because I'm going to lay this thing down here in just a minute. Good morning, everyone, by the way. If you repeated what you were going to do today or you looked at yesterday, and if I repeated what I, was going, I did yesterday, thank you, sir. Thank you, Josh, for being here today, too. Josh is awesome. Would you end up where you want to end up a year from now? Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. These last few weeks, as most of you know, we've been in a series called One, and part of that has come out of, uh, if you will, byproduct of a half a million mobilization and prayer. And I hope, if, again, if you have not uh, been a part of that, you still can jump in at any point. It's not too late to jump in on that. I don't think we have any of the journals, but I think you can do it. I don't even know if we have that slide. Can you find that real quick for me? Yeah, right there. So you can go on there and just, if you haven't been going along now, just jump in with us. But praying together, praying ties us together in a unique way, no doubt about that. And uh, I, and as Ali mentioned this morning, I love to pray that, Lord, your arm is not short and your ear is not deaf. We can pray all the way around the world. We can pray right next to the person, or we can pray right in our seat about us. <laughs> That's what's so awesome about this. We do it together. So in the continuation of one, last week we talked about uh, parenting and a little bit around that on Mother's Day. Today we're going to talk about marriage. And I realize not everybody in here is married, or not everybody in here wants to be married. I get that too. So that's not the purpose of today is to try to encourage you in that. But I will say this, if you are encouraged in that, and it is something that that you're already involved in, okay, uh, I hope today is of some help to you. And so if you'll just let me take off, I will try to get this done before the sun's game. So there you go. (laughs) I hope at 7.30 the night the sun did not go down on the suns. Amen? Amen. Amen. So there you go. I don't know if that needs an amen or not. Maybe the only amen I get all day. So <laughs> I say this often when I do wedding ceremonies. I don't, know, I don't know how many I've done, but done a lot. I've learned a lot over the years. One of the things I learned early on was that as a pastor, his, his role is not just to do the efficient, be that person who checks a box so they can sign a piece of paper so the people can go on about their business. I realized early on from the first two weddings I did, uh, ended in divorce, I realized, okay, I got to put a little more thought into this, okay? <laughs> Not that I can stop that, I can change people's lives, but I realized I just thought that was my job. Just go do that. That people ask you, you do it. That's what pastors do, you just do those things. Well, I don't hang my shingle out, if you will, to do weddings. I am glad to do them, and it's specific, and it has to be very specific. It has to be somebody I know pretty well. It has to be involved in our church. I just don't go out and do random weddings, okay? 
And it has to also fall within the parameters of I'm asking. You can say, I don't want to do that. And I'll go, that's good. I got another free Saturday night. I'm fine. No, but really, it's, I believe, and I just read this, what I say in the wedding often. The most important step in a person's life, other than his or her coming to Jesus Christ as Savior, is their decision to link that life to another in marriage. Marriage, many people come to marriage with high expectations, but wrong expectations. Let me say this real quick. Is it saying I heard years ago, marriage is an empty box. You, you put something in marriage. Marriage doesn't fix dysfunction. Matter of fact, it may expand it. <laughs> okay. So in itself, marriage in itself does not fix that. So for us, I realize there's a lot of reasons, like I said, people are in this room today for whether they never really wanted to get married. That's awesome. We believe singleness is very well bared out in Scripture, so that is not an issue. But you may be here not by your choice today, single. Not because you wanted to be. It could be from a death. could be from a divorce. It could be from a lot of things. But I still hope today, if you don't apply it necessarily directly to marriage, I hope it applies to your life as a believer. But I want to read this passage of Scripture out of the message from Genesis 2, 15 through 25. God took the man and set him down in the garden to work the ground and keep it in order. God commanded the man, you can eat from any tree in the garden except from the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from it, you're dead. I like the way that says that. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper, a companion. So God formed from the dirt of the ground all the animals of the field and all the birds in the air, and he brought them to man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. The man named the cattle, named the birds of the air, named the wild animals, and he didn't find a suitable companion. But God put him into a deep sleep. As he slept, he removed one of his ribs and replaced it with flesh. God then used the rib that he had taken from the man to make woman and presented, it, presented her to man. Then the man said, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, name her woman, for she was made from man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother, embraces his wife. They become one flesh. The two of them, the man and his wife, were naked, and they felt no shame. I just like to say the word naked there, so that's, that's my... In the South, we say naked, okay? So it just it means something different. I won't even get into that this morning. Buck naked even means something even more, but we'll go, we won't go down that road. By the time Eve was created... Adam had already named all the animals. You know, it's one of those things I heard years ago, and I think I've said it here before. You know, it's like one of those things where you kind of get exhausted from naming all the animals and just keep marching grunts by you. Rhinoceros, hippopotamus, and finally you get to the end going, yak, that's all I got. Okay. You're just exhausted, right? Just kind of like, okay, I'm done doing this. <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. I didn't find a helper. Let's, let's move on. But I love what Adam, the, the way the message says it here, finally. And what's funny about it is Adam and Eve didn't become friends, date a while, get engaged, 
And finally, Mary. No, God brought Eve to him as a helper, as a helpmate, as one. One thing that is clear, and I want to read this, Adam and Eve knew marriage was God's idea. God created their gender and every gender distinction. Every physical, emotional, social, and personality difference was God's idea. And Adam and Eve knew it. It was God who made Eve and declared that the human pattern would be children leaving their families to form new families. They knew this, and it wasn't their idea. They knew marriage was a good gift to them from God. I say that as a realizing over the last few decades, especially, the opportunity for that to be God's ideal has changed. It's become accepted, it's become relevant in our conversations. And I believe as a result of that, Christian couples have been losing their influence as a salt of the earth. Salt and light in that process. And if we're not careful, and if we don't keep marriage as what I believe is God's idea, we will become irrelevant in the middle of all that. There is a uniqueness when a couple commits their oneness in the midst of the overarching umbrella of Christ. There's a peculiarity about it. There's a uniqueness. There's something different. Not weird. Just to be weird. It's different. It should be different. Now I, again, there are couples I have, I've led up all the way to a week before their wedding going, I can't do your wedding. I'm out. They go, that sounds crazy. You just want, yeah, I will. Because somewhere along the way, I can't be a part of that. It should be a reflection of Christ, and it should be a reflection of the church. Now, unfortunately, the reflection of the church nowadays is dysfunctional in itself. (laughs) That's part of the problem, right? We believe marriage was created by God in creation and has been blessed through the ages. And again, this is my verbiage from a wedding. Has been blessed through the ages by the people of God. It is so honored and blessed that the Christian marriage signifies to us the beauty and mystery of the union that Christ has with his church. If you want to know why we want to protect it so much, of what we believe marriage is, because it signifies to us what Christ has with his church. That's a big deal. You can't just like flippantly think about that if you're a believer. Scripture commends it to be honored among all people. And let me say this. Marriage will always be what marriage was created to be, no matter what culture or society wants to define it as. It will always be what it was always created to be. I think Jesus reinforces In Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, and he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become 
one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I always like to say, don't argue with me. I'm just repeating what I read. Now, do I have opinions? Sure, but my opinions can be way off base. But when I base my opinions on what I read here, and your mind can go all kinds of places with what I'm referring to there, but I would even say living together does not, (laughs) that is not marriage. Because the commitment is not there. It's probably one of the biggest reasons. There's a lot of other reasons that go with it, but the biggest one is the commitment's not there. The vows are not made. The promises are not made. So why is marriage important as a part of the one series? Well, one is what we read in Scripture that a couple becomes two becomes one. Well, that's kind of crazy. How can that happen? Well, we believe it can. But I think it also has a huge significance because marriage is never, ever done in a vacuum. Ever. Ever. Unless you move to some mountains way off somewhere and you hide out, and I'm going to tell you right then, if you're connected to anybody else like your family members, it's still not done in a vacuum. Because either they miss you, they don't get to connect with you. Marriage is never, ever, ever done in a vacuum. It has a huge significance on not only those immediately connected to you, but it has a huge significance on society as a whole. How you live this out. So we come today not just talking about two persons who become one. We're talking about what this means collectively also to all of us. Not just in here, but out there too. What I mean by out there, just outside of these particular walls. So there's three things I'm going to throw at you, and I could, I could preach on this for a long time. I'll be honest with you. I've told you before, I may not ever write a book, maybe a partial chapter on parenting, uh, because, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But I may even write a chapter on marriage someday, not because I've got it all figured out, and Jan would, would, would say amen to that. However... I do believe there's some things that are pretty core to it. Maybe not write a book, but I could write a chapter. The first one is this. The power of a consistent life. See, I believe the credibility, your credibility and influence, and I'm, we can, again, if you're not worried about marriage in that sense, I'm just asking you to take these concepts and move them outside to wherever you go every day. But the power of a consistent life, it comes, I believe, from a longevity of consistency, and that is Jim Collins. I love Jim Collins in his book. Uh, I think it's Good to Great, but maybe one of his other books. I'm not sure, but he talks about the, uh, the sign of mediocrity. That the sign of mediocrity is not the unwillingness to change, but the signature of mediocrity is chronic inconsistency. Chronic and consistent. You can't just keep preaching this is what we believe and live something else. Can't do it. 
Oh, when the next thing comes along, and oh, I'm willing to change. Oh, yeah, I'll jump on this bandwagon. I'll jump on that bandwagon. I'll jump on that bandwagon. But the consistency, if you want to see somebody who lives a life that's impactful, it needs to be one of consistency over time. Sure, you're willing to change. We're going to talk about that transformation. You should be that. But this chronic inconsistency has an enormous impact not only on your home and your marriage, but on our culture. One of the things I wrote down, can you be trusted? I mean, or or better than that, can you be counted on? You know, one of the things that if I had one thing said about me, and I think there's a lot of things I'd even talk about one today, uh, if you said about Kurt Gentry, I'd hope you, one would you would say is he's generous. But one of the things I hope you could say about me, and again, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's bulletproof and it's 100% of the time, but I would hope you could say about me, you can count on Kurt. Whatever he's, whatever he's spewing, he's trying to live it out. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of flaws. That's not what I'm saying. Or if, you, if Kurt tells you he's going to do something, you can count on the fact he's going to do everything he can to make that happen. I don't trust inconsistent people. At least at this point, I don't let inconsistent people get close to me. I don't let inconsistent people influence me. It doesn't mean I won't be close to them from my vantage point, but I only let them get in so far. I don't let moody people get too close to me. I just don't. I don't necessarily let blunt people get too close to me. We'll talk about that in just a minute on potential confrontation, but there's a difference between confronting with love and just being blunt. And you've heard me say a hundred times, bluntness often is because based on an insecurity. It's to now put it, it's a defense mechanism. For if I'm blunt with you, I stop the conversation. Oh, do we see that in our culture today? I'm trying to shut you up. And now I have more tools to do it with called social media. I'm going to shut you up, silence you. Bluntness can be that. Not boldness. Boldness, as you know, we say around here, is to speak or act the truth for the common, common good, even at personal risk. Right. Uh, boldness is I'm doing something good for everybody, even though I know you may misunderstand me. But my intent is for the good of everybody. My intent is not to shut you up. That's not the good of everybody. Matter of fact, you trying to shut them up may be making us more dysfunctional because they very well may have words to say that could help all of us. And what's happened over the last decade especially, well, most of the exhausted majority of this country, probably 90% of it is just tired of the other 10%. And the rest of us just kind of shut up because we say much, you know, what are we going to get? Somebody's going to blunt us out. Somebody's going to cancel us. Somebody's going to try to shut us up, right? So what do we do? We take 
the silent approach. But most of us are just exhausted. But man, what a tool. But see, when I see somebody's life and somebody telling me to shut up, I want to see more about them. Matter of fact, I may need to shut up sometimes. Jen tells me to shut up all the time. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't think she's told me that in 37 years, to be honest with you. And she should have many times. See, to be trusted is more than being able to tell the truth or you've told us here, I can trust you with my money, I can trust you with my car, I can trust you with my wife, I can trust you with my house, I can trust you with... It's more than that. So what I want to trust is, I want to trust your values, your direction in life, your motives. You know the people who should have the most influence in my life? Those who have my best interest at heart, always. And I know it, and I've settled that, and I, and I don't have to argue about that anymore. I, that, that's settled. You know, Jan and I, over the years, I think our kids would tell you, our consistency in raising our children in this sense, attached to our marriage. Some would say, well, my kids are number one. I'm going, you've got your priorities messed up. That's what I tell you. It's the first thing I tell you. Your relationship with the Lord's number one. Number two is mine and Jan's relationship. I tell my kids all the time, yeah, Jan and I are going away for two weeks. You guys don't get to go, and we're going to Hawaii. Where are we, went, where are we going in our lives? They go, we don't get to go. I said, you benefit from this. If I get one and two right, three works. If you ever let a child move into any of those other positions, you've got a dysfunctional family. Ever. Ever. And you need to correct it as soon as you can. Now, I realize, I'm talking about in a marriage, I realize in single family homes, single parents, you don't have any choice. I get that. Please do not hear what I'm not saying. I don't have time to explain what I'm not saying. But if you're married, if that child ever becomes one or two, you're in trouble. It is a dysfunctional marriage. No amens, I get it. That's not a place for an amen, I get it. But the consistency of really any endeavor, exercise, a companionship, or anything consistent is more important than the quantity. Nothing beats small things done every day. It's way more important than what we do occasionally. Have you ever done this? You're on a diet and you go for two days and eat well and you think you're making progress. It's like me getting down here and doing, if I do 40 push-ups, which I, I can still do multiple times during the day or whatever, but do I do 40 a day 
or do I do 280 one day a week? Which I couldn't do, by the way. <laughs> it's the 40th day that begins to build this thing up. Or it's that not eating 300 calories a day instead of not eating 3,000 one day. Prayer. Five minutes is better or 10 minutes is better than trying to catch up an hour later I'd still rather you do the hour at some point if you're not going to do the other. I'm just saying five or ten minutes here and there where you're consistently in the presence and the relationship with the Lord, it makes a difference. Those small things. If you repeated what you did today 365 more times, will you be where you want to be this time next year? You know, one area I, I, I know is for many people is money in marriages. I hear it all the time over the years. Well, it was money is what really drove us. No, it is never money. It is never money. I can tell you what drives like 100% of marriages and separating you to me the 100%. Self-centeredness. I can bring it all back to that. It plays its way out in a thousand different ways. But it's always that. It's the reason why we teach holiness here. It's the reason why we believe in holiness. It's dying out to the self-centered self to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors ourselves. If you've got two people one doing it by themselves, and then the second priority, they're doing it together. They got an opportunity to have an awesome family and to bleed that down to their children. The osmosis of that. Doesn't always work. Still free moral agents, right? I get it. I'm trying to argue with that. But one of them is money. One's generous, one's not. I, I feel very fortunate. I am, I am married to someone who's extremely generous. I'm the one who does the budget, so we have to work through all that, okay? <laughs> but we don't like talking about money in church. We don't talk. Those who've been here for almost 10 years, or you've been here over the last year, or you've been here, you, how many times on your hand, one hand, can you count that I've talked about money? But I believe this. When a heart is changed, generosity follows. Whether it's to tithe, which Jan and I have done for 36 years, and always the local churches first, but we give a lot of other places. That you, you know, we don't go around trying to tell about water, but, but the local church is one of those. But I love Proverbs 4, 11, 24 that we've said many times here. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. You want to create your marriage to be smaller and smaller? Be, be, be stingy. If that's your intent, just be stingy. Not only in the finances, but with your love and with your grace. And with, just be stingy. If you want it to shrink, that's okay. But if you want God to expand it, Sure, it takes sacrifice. I think giving without sacrifice is really not giving. I think it has to hurt a little bit. 
That's just my opinion. That's not scriptural. So did you take that and throw it out if you want to? And like for our local church, I know people give a lot of places to hospitals and universities and all that, and I think that's great, and I don't have anything, and a lot of different NGOs and all that's great, but I do believe this still to this day. That the local church, when functioning well, is the hope of the world. It's placed throughout this world in unique ways. I love what Seth Godin says. And he's not necessarily referring to church. He said, small communities of interest and connection are still the dominant force in our culture. Small communities of interest and connection are still the dominant force in our culture. That's not going away. You know why? Because it's built within you. Second thing, the power of a shared journey. One of the reasons I believe we need to be doing this together because we're in so many different stages in here in this room, those who are in marriages, and some are, some are in transition, some are, Lord, we're, we're praying over. There's all kinds of different ways that people end up in this room today concerning marriage. I get that. And why should that even matter to a 15-year-old or a college student? Oh, it matters. Next Sunday... This is the first time I think I've done this in years is we're doing iGen groups and again next Sunday. I want to encourage you to be here for intergenerational groups again next Sunday because we believe it's that important. I usually only sneak it up on you uh, when you show up and you go, oh, I didn't know we were doing that. Uh, well, I'm telling you up front. It's that important. You know... Most of us don't really want to hear about all that people have accomplished or accumulated, honestly. Because most of us is not near as, most people are not near as impressed with our possessions as we are, just so you know. But what people really want to hear are stories of unexplainable intervention. They want to hear the realness that something was at work in your effort and your grit that you kept with it. There were times you wanted to quit. Anybody been there? You want to quit, but you kept going. You kept going. And God did something. God intervened. Stories of when a spouse dies, stories of a divorce, stories of reconciliation, stories. We need to hear all the stories. We need people who've been married 50 years and five minutes and, and everything in between. And people who are single need to hear because your story is my story. My story is your story. Even if you hear it in me and I've been married 37 years, now it becomes part of your story because we're all part of this together. You can tell stories about my family or our marriage or someone else's because it builds your faith and you can share it to someone else to build a greater faith. Miss Pink Ribbon that we have on the screen. I don't know if it's up there or not. You have that slide? Do not. Okay. Most of you know. 
There it is. We do have that slide. That means something different to me and to our family than it did in 2013, first part of September. (laughs) But later in September, it meant something different. I didn't know, when Jan and I talked, I didn't know that I could love Jan more except when you're 2.30 in the morning and you're wrestling with this and you're working through it. You don't know that God can expand your love for each other. You don't realize that's even possible. But it is. It may not be exactly what you're going through. It may not be, but that shared story may help. And Russell Moore, I, I, and whether you, you know, those who know Russell Moore, you land where you want to land on all that, but I love this quote from him years ago that I've quoted here before. And, I, and it says, so we are gathering together for a wedding. We have a gathering of witnesses. The people there aren't just guests at the party. They are people who are witnessing the vows that are being made with the implicit message there. We are representing the body of Christ to hold you accountable to these vows to help you through these vows, support you as you seek to keep these vows. So a couple starting out a wedding, frankly, doesn't know that the vows they need to make without the rest of the body of Christ and those who've gone before them. A 25-year-old couple, they're not thinking about Alzheimer's disease. They're not thinking about what happens when we find out that our small child is dying with cancer. They don't think about what happens if one of us commits adultery and we have to work through the aftermath of that. The rest of the body of Christ is speaking of the fact that the vows you are making to one another aren't simply when things are in conditions as they are right now and not simply when things are in conditions that you can imagine them right now. But it's in sickness and health, for rich or for poor, for death until death do us part. Those are the sort of vows that you ought to be making. And we as a body come together and say, we're going to help you. We're going to hold you accountable. If I hear about that, I'm, I'm going nose to nose with you. If it's something I don't believe, it should be going there. Because there should be a power to confront. That's in a different message. And the last one is the power of Transformation. I read this somewhere and it says, the reason it's difficult to learn something new is that it will change you into someone who disagrees with the person you are now and you used to be. (laughs) I'll read that again. The reason it's difficult to learn something new is that it will change you into someone who disagrees with the person you are now or at least the person you used to be. We're not organized for that. So we need to be in community. One, to see other people live that out. They were challenged. They grew. But to ask questions. You know, in a marriage, you're choosing by your own free will to join yourself to someone where you will no longer be your own. That's crazy stuff. Why would you want to do that? I mean, think about it. Why would you want to go, I'm going to give up my oneness by myself, my independence, I'm about to give that up by choice. 
I mean, I know people get sent to prison and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, but no, by choice, I'm going to choose to do this. Crazy stuff. Marriage is about breaking your self-centeredness. So is parenting. <laughs> it's about breaking your controlling nature. Marriage is about submission, both ways. Marriage is about laying your life down, becoming a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. In view of God's mercies, brother, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. That is your reasonable act of worship, no longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Back to, in view of God's mercies, brothers and sisters, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. We say it often here. You may be willing to die for somebody. The question is, are you willing to live for somebody as a living sacrifice? That's a daily choice. That's a little bit at a time. That's every day. So 10 years from now, what I can accomplish in a day may not be much. What I can accomplish in a decade may be, okay, but just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, I choose to be a living sacrifice and where I be, what I become over time because of that. Willing to challenge each other. I, left, I love Joseph Greeny's Greeny's uh, quote from Crucial Conversations says this. It says, you can measure the health of a relationship, team, or an organization by measuring the number of undiscussables. Crucial Conversations can become an acceleration of intimacy. When Crucial Conversations are held, we don't work around the truth. We work through it. Crucial conversations are the core of a healthy culture in a family, relationship, church, team, or organization. He said the time from when you recognize there needs to be a crucial conversation and when it happens tells you the health of your organization or your family. From the time you recognize what needs to be talked about and the time you do it tells you how healthy you are. When we talk about intimacy, it starts with trust and respect. You've heard me say this a hundred times. If you don't have trust and respect, you will never have intimacy. And I'm not talking about the physical end of this, even though that could be in a, in a, in a, obviously in a marriage, but I'm talking about intimacy in general because the world has taken that term and made it mainly a physical thing, which is not true. Philippians 1.7, I think it is. Paul says, my prayer is that the love of God in Christ would grow in you by knowledge and depth of insight, by knowing. So intimacy is trust and respect, whichever, slash respect. I'm a slash king. Those who know me, I'm slash, slash, slash. I use different words. What trust and respect leads to vulnerability, and vulnerability leads to intimacy. If there is no vulnerability, there is no intimacy. If you're not willing to be open and share and be challenged. I love Andy Stanley's quote about in a marriage, there in family or an organization, there are problems to solve and there are tensions to manage. 
Sometimes we're trying to solve something that's only a tension that's always going to be there. So let's figure out how to manage the tension, not try to solve the problem because it is not a problem. Then other times that's a problem to solve. No, we're not going to be getting drunk every day, okay, <laughs> or whatever in a marriage. We're not going to do this every day. We're not going to do it. Well, that's a problem to solve. That's not a tension to manage. That's a problem to solve. And we could go a thousand different directions with that statement. But I shared this picture. I don't know if we have it up there. This picture of that awesome looking couple in 1985 as I shared with you on Easter the girl on the left should never have married the guy on the right that's a fact and if I had been counseling her I, had told, I would have told her not to do that this guy doesn't know Jesus he's not looking for Jesus he doesn't know he's lost do not marry him she did not marry the right guy but after December 13th, 1986, when I gave my life to Christ, I tried to become the man that she should have married. Amen. Okay? It is about transformation. It is about continuing to become. There's never a spot. If I had my ladder out here, we would give the illustration. But there's never a spot where we just say, so I'm done growing. No, I've got to be willing to be challenged and to grow and be transformed. You know, if I was going on a great adventure, which I hope Jane and I have been on, I think we have over the last 37 years, you better figure out who you're surrounding yourself with. You better figure that out real quick. Because I need to be hanging out and surrounding myself with people who will grow with capacity. And let me say this again. What many of us like to do, and you see it, you may have this one. Many of us like to hang out with people who don't challenge us to grow. They reinforce us staying right where we are. So you why it's so important who you get married to. Oh, she may have thought I was cute. <laughs> Mustache and all, Right? Mullet, I had a perm, I just got a perm and my mullet. It was cool. <laughs> Thank goodness I'm not that guy anymore. And thank goodness we've grown with capacity. We've both grown. If I was still that guy, which you've seen that before, people 20 years later, that person's still that person. What is going on? What is happening there? I want to hang out with people. I'll just say this for young people and young adults and older too. Hang out with people who will grow with capacity. That won't just reinforce where you are right now, but will challenge you to not stay there. There is power in transformation. I mean, there's not only to transform you, but to transform a home, to transform a church, to transform a community, to transform a nation, transform a world. I'm telling you, we're headed to Pentecost, right? This is what this prayer, and we're, I mean, we're all headed there whether you're doing the study or not, okay? And we hope you all make it there and pass that, but we're headed there in this study. One of the things that happened was these, these running scared 11 guys Flip the world upside down. 
because they were transformed. They were changed and empowered. So to say, again, we're all trying to just be obedient. That's all. And whatever the Lord takes it, he takes it. That's not what I'm saying. It's true. Hey, we're going to be this you know, force for the nations. I will say this, though. I'll let God figure all that out. And don't let him limit that. I let me limit what he can do. But what am, am I limiting what he can do in me is the question. And what he can do in my marriage. And what he can do in my family. And what he can do in our church. Because I'm not willing to be transformed. Back to what I said earlier. The Christian marriage is the earthly picture of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And the world should be able to look at a Christian marriage and see a distinctive difference that is stunning. They should be able to look at our marriages and see something going. That husband and wife relate different than the other husbands and wives I know because of the anointing and the fragrance and aroma on their life. I believe this. If the church did nothing else but represent healthy marriages in our society, we would transform our culture. If we did nothing else. Because healthy marriages means there's healthy families. Pertaining to your marriage, pertaining to your life, a little bit now, done every day. As I asked you five weeks ago, four, excuse me, three weeks ago, when we started this series of five weeks, I hope you're going to be sitting at the end of this five weeks, and obviously further, but these five weeks going. Man, I'm glad I started this. Because a little bit here, where would you be today if you just started six months ago what you knew you should be doing? Where would you be today? But what if you just started today? And that everything I do today, a year from now, is taking me from a year from now what I want to be. And maybe you do it at the other's a couple also. What do we want to do today? If what we did together today, and we repeated it 365 times, what would we look like 365 days from now? So we're not asking to go out and sprint and do all just today. My suggestion is you start with prayer. I'm going to ask Josh and crew to come down. Probably should have already done that, but we'll just sing, a, an, if you will, an anthem song. And we're going to sing King of My Heart.
but stealing a line from one of the other songs, I'd be lost. I think it's where we all start. But why we preach what we preach here is because I believe with all my heart when he becomes the king of our heart, it transforms everything. I'm just thankful for you being here today. I'll come back up and close us in prayer. But let me pray for us now before we stand and sing. Lord, we come before you today knowing that we've all come from different walks of life and different circumstances, married, not married. Uh, Lord, we know from singleness that we have championed here. So, Lord, we know your, your word does it, and so do we. We also know you champion marriage. And we also know in the middle of marriage there's heartache and there's, there's all kinds of different things that bring us together in, in this mixed bag of being here on May 15, 2022. But, Lord, what we do have a choice in, all of us, is this day, this one day, we make choices that reflect as we've sang this morning the scandal of grace and king of my heart reflects for us our desire and if we just do a little bit today with that in mind it could be a lot some days we know Lord that's how it works but consistently each day these small things add up to be more and more like you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close?